Good morning, River Life St. Paul campus. My name is Peng Moore, and I'm Pastor Kong's wife. It is a joy to be with you all here this morning. I will conclude our six-week series called When Love Hurts, Christian Perspectives on Domestic Violence. We have heard three horrific stories from the book Texts of Terror by Dr. Phyllis Tribble. The first was Hagar, the slave who was used, abused, and rejected by Abram and Sarai. The second was Tamar, the princess who was raped and discarded by Amnon, her brother. The third was an unnamed concubine who was raped, murdered, and dismembered by a gang of Benjamites and the Levite. Our last story today, Jephthah's daughter, who was a virgin slain and sacrificed by her father. We will read majority of the passage to honor Jephthah's daughter. As I read, I will provide some observations and interpretations along the way. Let's read Judges chapter 11. Jephthah the Gideadite was a mighty warrior. His father was Gilead. His mother was a prostitute. Gilead's wife also bore him sons. And when they were grown up, they drove Jephthah away. You are not going to get any inheritance in our family, they said, because you are the son of another woman. Now Jephthah was a, from the tribe of Gilead, which is also a part of the tribe of Israel, descendants of Jacob, Isaac, and Abraham. And although Jephthah was strong and mighty, his greatest flaw were his parents. Therefore, he suffered for the sins of his parents. The dysfunction in his parents tarnished Jephthah's identity, leaving him feeling humiliated and broken and losing face in his community. If you're Hmong or of Asian descent, you may have felt, seen, and heard this very thing in your own family. So Jephthah fled from his brothers and settled in the land of Tob, where a gang of scoundrels gathered around him and followed him. Sometime later, when the Ammonites were fighting against Israel, the elders of Gilead went to Jephthah for the land, from the land of Tob. Come, they said, be our commander so we can fight the Ammonites. Now, the Ammonites were, neighboring, they were a neighboring tribe and an enemy of the tribe of Israel, therefore an enemy of Gilead too. Verse 7. Jephthah said to them, didn't you hate me and drive me from my father's house? Why do you come to me now when you're in trouble? The elders of Gilead said to him, nevertheless, we are turning to you now. Come with us to fight the Ammonites and you will be head over all of us who live in Gilead. Wow, this is every hero's dream storyline. When people who doubt you come crawling back to ask for help with pride and pain, 
Jephthah responds to their request with interrogation. But the elders, they're desperate, and they are willing to resolve the past conflict with Jephthah by making him their commander. Verse 9, Jephthah answered, Suppose you take me back to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gives them to me. Will I really be your head? The elders of Gilead replied, The Lord is our witness. We will certainly do as you say. So Jephthah went with the elders of Gilead, and the people made him head and commander over them. And he repeated all his words before the land in Mizpah. Now pay attention. The elders of Gilead never specified that Jephthah had to win. He just had to join them. But Jephthah, he bargains with them by asking, if I win the Ammonites with the help of the Lord, then I get to be your leader? And with that, the elders reply, yes, whatever you say. Verse 12, then Jephthah sent messengers to the Ammonite king with the question, what do you have against me that you have attacked my country? The king of the Ammonites answered Jephthah's message, messengers. When Israel came out of Egypt, they took away my land from the Arnon to Jabbok and all the way to the Jordan. Now give it back peaceably. In hearing this bit of history from the king, Jephthah decides to set the record straight by reminding the king what actually happened. Now the reply is quite long, so I'm gonna paraphrase his response. Jephthah tells them, we didn't take anyone's land, and certainly not Ammonite land. When Israel left Egypt, we sent a message to each king asking for permission to pass through their land. But the kings wouldn't let us come through. Israel was stuck in the desert and walked in circles around the land, but never in it. Eventually, another tribe ambushed us and attacked us with their army. But God, the God of Israel, helped my people defeat the army and that's how Israel took all the land. It was God, the God of Israel, who rescued his people. Who do you think you are trying to take it over? Does anyone win by opposing Israel? Also, it's been 300 years. Why didn't you try anything before? Then Jephthah ends his letter with, this last, with these last words. Verse 27, I have not wronged you, but you are doing me wrong by waging war against me. Let the Lord, the judge, decide the dispute this day between the Israelites and the Ammonites. Now this sounds hopeful, actually. Jephthah is certainly well educated in the history of his people. And more importantly, he understands that the same God of Israel who gave victory 300 years ago is with him. Verse 28, 
The king of Amnon, however, paid no attention to the message Jephthah sent him. Then the spirit of the Lord came on Jephthah. He crossed Gilead and Manasseh, passed through Mizpah of Gilead, and from there he advanced against the Ammonites. And Jephthah made a vow to the Lord. If you give the Ammonites into my hands, whatever comes out of the door of my house to meet me when I return in triumph from the Ammonites will be the Lord's, and I will sacrifice it as a burnt offering. At the start of the battle, the spirit of the Lord is with Jephthah. And what does he do? Instead of acting with courage and conviction, he responds with doubt and demand. At the center of the battle, Jephthah makes another bargain, urging God for victory. Jephthah becomes unsure of God's help and insecure of his future. Just like that, Jephthah forgets that this battle and victory belongs to God. Dr. Phyllis Tribble writes that Jephthah pleads for divine help that ironically is already Jephthah's through the spirit of Yahweh. The making of the vow is an act of unfaithfulness. Then Jephthah went over to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into his hands. He devastated 20 towns from Arawer to the vicinity of Minith, and as far as Abel Karamim, thus Israel subdued Amnon. When Jephthah returned to his home in Mizpah, who should come out to meet him but his daughter? dancing to the sound of trembles. She was an only child. Except for her, he had neither son nor daughter. When he saw her, he tore his clothes and cried, Oh no, my daughter, you've brought me down and I am devastated. I have made a vow to the Lord and I cannot break. In this moment of fearful weakness, Jephthah offers a sacrifice. Did he mean to sacrifice a human, a servant, or an animal? Who did he think would meet him at his front door? The ambiguous sacrifice in Jephthah's vow is now clear. Jephthah's daughter is his sacrifice. And the moment he sees his daughter, his lips are filled with blame because she comes out to meet him. He tears his clothes, which is a sign of despair, grief, and mourning. But Jephthah mourns for himself, not for his daughter. Jephthah states, you have brought me down. His despair floods his daughter, the victim, with blame. My father, she replied, you have given your word to the Lord. Do to me just as you have promised. Now that the Lord has avenged you of your enemies, 
the Ammonites. But grant me this one request, she said. Give me two months to roam the hills and weep with my friends, because I will never marry. You may go, he said. And he let her go for two months, and she and her friends went to the hills and wept, because she will never marry. After two months, she returned to her father, and he did to her as he vowed. And she was a virgin. From this comes the Israelite tradition that each year the young women of Israel go out for four days to commemorate the daughter of Jephthah, the Gileadite. I have read this story numerous times, and each time I'm filled with disgust and anger against Jephthah. Dr. Phyllis Tribble writes, faithfulness to an unfaithful vow has condemned its victim. Father and daughter are split apart in deed and destiny. Though in anguish he calls her my daughter, he offers her neither solace nor release. And through it all, God says nothing, end quote. Jephthah is a mighty warrior, but what I see underneath the tough exterior is a man with no reputation, making him prideful, faithless, and self-righteous. He did everything in his might to gain pride, place, and power. Jephthah's daughter died a premature death. She was young and a virgin. Jephthah's daughter died a violent death. She was murdered and sacrificed by fire. Jephthah's daughter died a life with no heirs. She was a virgin, meaning she would be unremembered by her people and her tribe. Neither God nor man nor woman intervened with the violence of the vow. How did Jephthah's daughter spend her final days in life? She sought the fellowship of other women, not the company of her father. And with these women, they roamed the hills and lamented her virginity. The other women knows her tragedy and remembered her name, her life after her death. How did Jephthah spend his final days with his daughter? He also had two months, which would have given him time to reflect and reevaluate his duty as a father. But we know the conclusion to this story. In the end, Jephthah was unchanged and unenlightened. His vow was a vow of faithlessness. He chose himself. He could have confessed that his foolish words were made in fear. 
but he didn't. In the book Spiritual Authority, Dr. Rob Reamer writes, your self-life is most strongly formed in your place of greatest wounding. The place where you were hurt the most growing up is the place where you fortified the strongest. You don't have the ability to process the pain you experienced as a child, so you build emotional walls to protect yourself. This deep wounding is where we learn to become self-reliant, self-dependent, self-sufficient, self-centered, and self-pitying." We often hear that parents or guardians live vicariously through their children. However, in light of this story, adults who are unaware of their woundings can take the joy from their child's life in order to gain pride, place, and power, just like Jephthah. In a moment here, I will read a parent's prayer for their children. I invite mothers and fathers, grandparents, aunts and uncles, older siblings to participate. You may read it with me and pray this prayer for yourself. You may listen to it and reflect on the Lord's desire for you, or you may receive it as a healing prayer from the pain of the past or from your parents. O Father of humankind, who hast given unto me these children and committed them to my charge to bring them up for thee and to prepare them for everlasting life, assist me with thy heavenly grace that I may be able to fulfill this most sacred duty and stewardship. Teach me both what to give and what to withhold, when to reprove and when to forbear. Make me gentle yet firm, considerate and watchful, and deliver me equally from the weakness of indulgence and the excess of severity, and grant that by both word and example, I may be careful to lead them in the ways of wisdom and true pity, so that at last I may be with them, be admitted to the unspeakable joys of our true home in heaven in the company of the blessed angels and saints. Amen. Dr. Phyllis Tribble writes, quote, if art imitates life, scripture likewise reflects it in both holiness and horror. Reflections themselves neither mandate nor manufacture change, yet by enabling insight, they may inspire repentance. In other words, sad stories may yield new beginnings. In April, we will start Soul Care discussion groups based on the book Soul Care by Rob Reamer. I have witnessed new beginnings 
and the power and presence of God. Reading this book with others has transformed the way I see God and community. I pray that you will step in courage and read Soul Care with us. Rob Reamer will also be here in June for the Soul Care Conference. May we impart and imprint blessings for our children and the next generations to come. God bless you all.